Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Well, welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast. How do you talk to your kids about God? Well, that's the topic that we're going to be talking about today with Natasha Crane. And she is a popular blogger, author, and speaker who is passionate about equipping Christian parents to raise their kids with an understanding of how to make a case for and defend their faith in an increasingly secular world. Her blog, Christian Mom Thoughts, attracts more than 25,000 readers each month. And she's the author of Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. Now, Natasha has an MBA in marketing and statistics from UCLA and a certificate in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Uh, She's a former marketing executive and adjunct professor and lives in Southern California with her husband and three children. So, Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be on with you. Yeah. So let's just start off right off the bat. Why did you write this book? Why did you write Talking to Your Kids About God? Yeah, well, I I came out with Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, similarly titled book, in March of 2016. And it was kind of the the first apologetics book to write directly to parents and give an overview of all 40 different subjects that are really important for parents to understand today and discuss with their kids. And so it covered all the major subject areas of God and Jesus, truth and worldviews, the Bible and science. And after parents were reading that book, they said, well, you know, they got interested and they said, this is really important and I want to learn more. So what do I next. And of course, there are lots and lots of amazing apologetics books that are out there, but they were kind of asking for more in that same style as the first book. And so that's how the idea for this book came to be. It's really a kind of a follow-up to Keeping Your Kids on God's Side that starts a new series now that goes in depth on the individual subject. So talking with your kids about God that just came out is 30 conversations specifically about God, the existence of God and science and God, the nature of God, believing in God and the difference God makes. The next book in the series will be talking about with your kids about Jesus and potentially after that talking with your kids about the Bible. So now it's just kind of digging deeper into those subjects. So I was excited to write this book because there were there were so many people saying, I really want to learn more now. So what do I do next? And this was kind of the answer to that. That's great. Well, just, add, you know, and we're kindred spirits in this. We have a heart for the next generation. And I'm so glad you've written this book. Such a helpful resource for parents to definitely check out. But let's set the kind of the larger you know, step back for just a second. Why is apologetics or giving reasons for your faith, why is that important from your perspective for this generation and for parents? Well, it's, as you know, it's critically important because kids today are going to be challenged from the youngest age in their faith. And it's literally everywhere around them, what they see in small snippets on TV, that whatever, you know, they're allowed to see with with their parents, it's in commercials, it's on magazine covers in the grocery aisle. If they're old enough to be using the internet, it's literally everywhere online and in social media. I mean, you can't escape it. And so the solution for parents is not to hide from it and say, wow, this world is so crazy. I'm going to take my kids, I'm going to hide them away, and then I'll send them out into the world like that when they're 18. The solution instead is that we need to be the ones to talk to them about those challenges first. And, you know, that, that's the truth with so many other things, but yet a lot of parents haven't kind of embraced that same mentality with faith. And so that's really where my passion lies, is helping parents to understand what are the specific challenges today, because you can't address them if you don't know what they are. And then once you know what those challenges are, how do you actually talk about them effectively with your kids. It's not a matter of if, it really is just a matter of when they start encountering these things. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things is we see our students come through Impact 360 and our different experiences. It's always so helpful that they have these conversations earlier because, you know, I'm interacting with them around when they're teenagers and their high school years and college years and our gap year. But it's so important that parents frame and set these questions up a lot sooner because, as you mentioned, kids are getting hit with all sorts of information in our kind of information overload society. So this is this is a critical conversation. One of the things I love in your book, early on you kind of have a conversation and you make some distinctions around kind of discipline and direction and some different ways to kind of play that out and different options. Can you say a little bit about that and how that would affect kind of how parents approach kind of even even their task of parenting, but even more just kind of these topics of apologetics and worldview? Right. So discipline and direction are kind of the two ingredients that we need as parents in order to effectively disciple our kids. And and they're kind of independent things. And, and some people have one or the other, but not both. Or sometimes we don't have either. But just briefly, discipline is just that you're consistently doing these things, that you're consistently working on your kids' discipleship. And it's so hard as busy parents. I mean, we, you know, many of us have kids that are involved in a lot of things. My kids are in baseball and soccer and softball and take piano lessons, all these things. And sometimes it piles up and we just put on the back burner that kind of active discipleship in the home. And that is really a shame because ultimately our highest priority needs to be on equipping our kids to know and love Jesus. So the discipline part of it is really just that day-to-day consistent approach to and planning for having your kids talk about and understand and study God's Word. And the direction part of it is you actually know what you're doing when you do that. So in other words, we can be really disciplined and we can say, well, I'm going to do something every day. And we can be doing things that are maybe marginally helpful, but not necessarily the things that our kids need. And by and large, when I talk to parents today, this is this is missing in a lot of cases because parents do whatever feels comfortable to them. They do what's familiar. Maybe they just kind of repeat how they were raised. They take their kids to church on Sunday, say, a, you know, prayer at mealtime or at bedtime, and they're not really sure what else to do. And so that's the direction part. It's understanding what they need to be doing given the world that their kids are growing up in. So ultimately, we want to have both discipline and direction because those two things work together to really disciple our kids. No, that's great. And as you mentioned, you know, you're a mom, you're with the kids, and you've got three, right? Three kids? Right. And right. What, I have what two eight-year-olds eight and a seven-year-old. There you go. So, so far, you know, what what's the toughest question that you've been asked by your kids? <laughs> Oh boy, the toughest <laughs> question. Well, there are all kind. I mean, we we actually do what we call questions nights regularly, where we just we take the time that we would normally be doing a Bible study with our kids, and we say tonight we're just going to take whatever questions that you have about God or Jesus, anything. And you know, our kids come up with a million questions, so I'm trying to think of what some of the the harder questions are. I, I'd have to say it's the ones that the Bible doesn't actually answer. <laughs> so that you know, a lot of questions about heaven. I think that kids, you know, naturally have a lot of curiosity about what that is. And, you know, I, of course, as a parent, you want to give them answers and you want to give them good answers. But at the same time, oftentimes kids ask things that we don't have the full answers to. They're really good at making you feel kind of dumb sometimes, right? Exactly. But there is a difference between not knowing an answer when an answer does exist and not knowing an answer because God hasn't told us. And so we, we tend to get a lot of those. And especially I think my, my daughter, she really struggles with the whole concept of, well, how can God be 
eternal. You know, what, how is that even possible that there could be something that's just always existed? And as I explained her, that's something that a lot of adults struggle to understand too. And that as the humans who live in this, you know, finite space and time, we can't always comprehend these things outside of the concept of it. So those are, those are really tough questions, I think, to, to answer a lot of times with kids, because sometimes as adults, we can't even conceptualize it, but yet we have to help our kids somehow understand it. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. You know, just trying to, how do I make this concrete? I mean, we okay, what is eternity? What is time? What is God? I mean, all these big nice. questions, right? And so I, I, lo- I love that you tackle these questions in your book, Talking With Your Kids About God. Just such a great resource on this. So, so imagine some parents out there. I mean, I'm a father of three. I mean, it's crazy, you know, with schedules and everything else. So share just maybe a couple practical tips about what's kind of worked in your family about how to have better conversations with your own kids without getting overwhelmed by the schedule and the business. Do you do that at dinner time? Do you, I mean, what do, what do you do that might be able to help parents kind of get a little bit better at making time for these conversations? Yeah, well, I think it's twofold. I always kind of refer to it as using moments and creating moments. So let me explain what I mean by that. When when I say using moments, I think this is what a lot of parents tend to depend on. And a lot of times we call these teachable moments, right? We think of those things where something happens and we say, oh, this is a good opportunity to point out X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we use that moment and it's a good teachable opportunity. And those are so important for sure to just be able to point those things out. And to make the most of those kinds of teachable moments, you have to, of course, first be aware of the things that need to be taught. And so again, that's a lot of where my passion lies is helping parents understand what those things are so that they can see the opportunity and kind of have that, that radar up of opportunities to point something out. For example, you know, you can be in the the grocery aisle at the store, like I said earlier, and you can see something on a magazine cover that is very contradictory with a Christian worldview. And you can use that as an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, how does that differ with what we believe as Christians? Just simple things like that. So that's kind of the using the moments. But the reason I say that too many parents depend on that is that there's so much our kids need to be taught and that they need to learn that you're not necessarily always going to find a teachable moment for. So we can't sit around waiting until there's this perfect moment to talk to our kids about whether or not the Bible supports slavery. That just might not come up at some point until they're actually challenged on that subject by someone. And at that point, you know, it might be too late. So it's really important to create moments as well and to set aside that time. And as much as it can be difficult to find time to schedule, like I said, if as Christians we're really taking this seriously and we really believe that there are eternal implications for our kids and in the relationship with Jesus, then it should be a no-brainer that we have to set aside those times to have those conversations. So for us, we do that on Sunday nights and we set aside that time and we do a Bible study and we're studying the book of James or we've been studying the book of James and we sit down and we go through our study guide that we've been using and we talk about it. Sometimes we have questions nights, like I mentioned, which are just amazing. If you're listening to this and you haven't really put anything formal in place, like a structured time each week with your family, this is a great way to start because it's just a time to sit and talk and see what questions your kids have. So we incorporate questions nights into that. And then sometimes we just bring a question proactively to those. So maybe it's not a Bible study night. Maybe we say, you know what, tonight we're going to talk about question five from this book that's talking with your kids about God, for example. And that's just the best way really to make sure that you're getting in front of your kids, the conversations that you need to have, regardless of whether or not it happens to come up when you're passing the dinner rolls. So I I always encourage parents, think of those two things. Think of both using moments and creating moments. But in both cases, it requires the parents to be equipped with that understanding first of what needs to be taught. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree because, you know, we've all been in situations where it's, if I understand kind of at least basically where this conversation is going to go, then I'm kind of calm and not defensive, everything else. And then we're able to help navigate whether that we're interact with people who are hostile to our faith or questions that our kids have or anything else. So understanding what they believe about these topics, being exposed to it is so critical. But I want to go back to real quick, something you were saying about your, um, the Bible study. I think that's awesome. So you've got, I think seven and eight year olds. So for the parent out there wondering, what does that actually look like? Does everyone sit neatly and listen quietly and squirm? <laughs> Is this four hours of memorizing the book of James? Like, give me, give me the real glimpse into what that actually is like, so that we can just help help parents kind of kind of envision this. Yes, lest anyone think it's anything like what you just described, <laughs> that my kids are sitting perfectly. No, it absolutely isn't. I mean, some of those nights are a train wreck, especially my, my younger one, and she's seven, but kids are, you know, they're all over the map in terms mm. of their their development levels and their interest levels and all of those things. So we do require that they come in and sit with us for the conversation. And I also require that you're not rolling around on the floor, literally. <laughs> and if you are, and we're having that much trouble with it, then you can get ejected from the family Bible study and it has <laughs> happened. So yeah, you know, in, in, I have not, but you might hear that and think, oh, but then some kids will just want to be ejected. Well, not necessarily because if you're keeping it relevant and interesting, then they're not. And I think part of it too, is that we've done our best to develop kind of a, a love for the Bible and, and talking about how it's so important. I mean, I, I realized one day that my kids had never seen me reading the Bible because I read my Bible on my iPad. And so they have no idea what my mommy's reading, you know, in the morning and at night. And so I actually bought a physical Bible so they could see that I'm reading my Bible mm -hmm. regularly. So we explained to them and we've taught them how you actually go about reading the Bible. And so that's piqued their interest in it too. I know growing up in church and spending, you know, hundreds of hours in church and growing up in a Christian home, I actually didn't learn much about how to pick up and study the Bible on my own. So that's been a passion of mine with my own kids. And because of that, they look forward to coming in and they get to look up the passages themselves. We take turns reading it in like different translations so that they can hear that. We talk about what those things are. And like I said, we also mix it up, you know, so it's not just a Bible study. Like some nights we'll do a questions night or sometimes we'll throw out an interesting question. We bring a lot of, you know, questions that we just hear like in the news, for example. I heard somebody say after the, the horrible church shooting in Texas, you know, and I mean, not just one person, but many people on social media saying, well, clearly God doesn't exist because he didn't save those people. So that's an obvious opportunity in my mind that you take that kind of thinking to your kids and you say, you know, I heard somebody say today that God must not exist if something bad happened to people while they were sitting in church. Do you think that's true? Why or why not? And that's a whole conversation starter. And so kids who might not necessarily love studying the Bible at this point in their life, if you mix up Bible study and conversations and you and you pull all these things together, I assure you that they actually do become interested. Because when you start think, making them think about those things and, hey, I heard this, what do you guys think? Do you think that's true? Then you really pique their curiosity and you, and you get them thinking about those things. So we're usually, you know, we only plan for doing half an hour, but usually we end up spending about an hour just because because there are questions and conversations going on. So I'd say a half an hour is a very reasonable amount of time to start with as a family to find 30 minutes a week to do that.
But yeah, it doesn't look perfect at all. I mean, we have my younger one falls asleep sometimes in the middle and I don't go over and, you know, shout in her ear or anything like that. <laughs> so you don't want them to hate it. You want yeah. you want them to come and, and, you know, and take an interest in it. And we also give them active things to do. So like they each have a notebook and, and a pencil so that they can write down like the things that they're learning and kind of keep track of it like that. And my daughter's more interested in doing that part of it than my son. So it just depends on their personalities, but working with them and not expecting perfection, but having the discipline, like we were talking about to keep doing it no matter what. And if you do get off track, get back on track. No, I love it. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I can completely agree. There's been times there's, Hey, we're going to sit down and you're, you're envisioning as a parent. So all oh, this can be such a special <laughs> moment. It's spiritual. and It's going to be awesome. And you're like, totally did not go the way I envisioned that, 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 that's exactly oh. right. <laughs> so, so and my, my daughter now, my eight-year-old daughter, she thinks it's fun to make up a song about whatever, you know, we were learning, kind of a humorous song at the end. And so we always tell her, okay, you can do that at the end. So like, she looks forward to that. And my, my son will make up a little skit or something. So again, you know, it's just kind of working with their personalities so that it's something that they actually enjoy. Absolutely. And so what I'm hearing and what I hope parents are hearing as they listen to this is take the pressure off but also be intentional, right? So, I mean, just find some space, find some time. This is such a great tool. Uh, I'm talking to Natasha Crane, and her excellent new book is called Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have, forwarded by our good friend Sean McDowell. And so it's just a great resource to help prepare you for some of those conversations. But, you know, as you interact with with parents, Natasha, what's maybe one of the most common questions you get from parents around kind of this space of talking with your kids about God or worldview or apologetics? Let's say most common question. Well, honestly, the most common question is, you know, do you have, what book do I give my kids? Everyone, I get emails about this and, and people comment on my blog or reach out to me on social media and they always want to find a book that they can give to their kids because parents always understand that the world is getting really challenging. They don't know really what to do about it or how to define that. And so they're like, well, just give me the book to give my kids so that that can help them. And, you know, there are some really good, great resources that have come out, especially Jay Warner Wallace's, you know, Cold Case for Kids and yeah. God's Crime Team for Kids. And Melissa Kane Travis has books that her young Defender series. So there are some great books available and we should absolutely make use of those as parents. But ultimately it comes back to us as the parents to be the primary spiritual influencer and be the one who can have those conversations because they're going to finish reading those books and they're going to get some great information. But it is a matter of an entire childhood we're talking about. And so being the parent, we have to be equipped to have that knowledge and to know these are the things that I need to understand. And here's how I'm going to have those conversations with my kids and just being able to have the confidence of doing that. And I think that's what a lot of parents do lack is the confidence. And they just say, you know, I just want somebody who's an expert on this stuff to, to write the book so I can give it to my kids and they can explain why there's good reason to believe Christianity is true. But we should understand that as parents, right? We should understand that every Christian we should all be prepared to give the, the reasons for the hope that's within us. So if we can't do that with our kids, then we have kind of our own credibility on the line, I think. So we need to be the, the ultimate apologist in our kids' lives. No, I think that's great. And I think that's really important because, you know, ultimately, I mean, our kids are going to kind of look at the way we see and relate to the world, and they're going to kind of take their cues on that's the Christian life, or that's the way you do these kinds of things. And so I think it's critical that, you know, parents are equipped in these things and really appreciate you writing that book. 
you know, one of those questions where I think a lot of parents don't feel equipped, and I know you talk about in your book, talking with your kids about God, is the area of faith and science. And maybe, you know, if, you know, scientists are all atheists or science is somehow disproving God, what, what's maybe one thing you would do to kind of help maybe prepare a, a parent to have a better conversation with, with, with some of their younger children, especially on these questions of faith and science and even how to frame some of those questions? Right. Well, that's a huge question because obviously it depends on the specific topic that we're talking about. But just broadly speaking, you don't have to, as an encouragement, you don't have to be an expert on science to understand kind of the the big picture of what we're talking about with these kind of conversations. And one of the best things that you can do in helping your kids, even from the youngest age, when you get in these conversations, and I focus on this a lot in that section of my book, is just defining terms. You know, when someone says that science has disproven the existence of God. Well, what do you mean by God and what do you mean by science? Two people who are saying that same sentence can mean completely different things. You know, one person might mean that they're talking about God just as a potential supernatural being who may or may not have created the world and is not even interacting with it. And if that's what they mean, even most atheists acknowledge, well, science as the study of the natural world has nothing to say about something that might exist beyond that. But most of the time when atheists, very vocal atheists like Richard Dawkins, for example, is saying, you know, that that science has has shown that God doesn't exist. He's talking about specifically the God of the Bible. And if you get more specific to that, then you're talking about specific claims within the Bible in specific areas, and especially talking about age of the earth and evolution. So you hear these big sweeping statements about science and God, but if you really drill down to it, you're talking about some very specific questions within science where you're looking at the mainstream scientific consensus, and you're looking at that versus certain interpretations of the Bible. And so when you really get specific like that, it helps to narrow down kind of like I said, what we're talking about. It's not this whole huge dilemma of science versus God. We're talking about some specific issues. And ultimately, in terms of a framework for thinking of this, ultimately, the accurate understanding of Scripture, the accurate interpretation of Scripture, and the accurate interpretation of the natural world will never actually be in true conflict, because all truth is God's truth. And so I think when we can help our kids see these discussions in light of that kind of framework, it's very helpful so that they don't see it as pitting science against God. And it's also, on the other hand, it's also really important to help kids understand how science and the Bible are complementary. And I have a chapter in the book also about that, just looking at how the world is understandable and it's discoverable because it's orderly. And we wouldn't expect that on a view of the world that's just totally materialistic, where things just came into being by blind evolutionary forces. But you would expect that if there's intelligence behind it. So the very fact we can do science because there are things that are consistent, like gravity and and the laws of nature, it actually is evidence that points toward an intelligent being like God. And the fact that we can even do science with our reason. That's another kind of a complementarity between science and Christianity. Because again, if it's just a blind, blind force universe and everything developed by evolutionary forces, then we wouldn't expect to have reason, reliable reason that helps us to discover truth. So all of these kinds of things are ways that we can help our kids understand, hey, yeah, you're going to hear about these different conflicts between certain interpretations of science and certain interpretations of the Bible, and here's how we need to look at those. But also you need to understand in many ways that science and the Bible are complementary. 
No, I think that's great. I think helping kind of frame and, as you say, define your terms and just kind of getting clear about what we are and aren't talking about what the objections really are and then how important they are, because some questions are more central than others. For example, that God created is more central than how God created, you know, those those right. kinds of things. And so this is, I love the conversations that you have in your book about these things, but you, you end your book with a chapter on biblical hope. And so maybe just say a little bit about that, but why does biblical hope matter? Maybe especially now more than ever, as we kind of enter into this kind of post-Christian culture and kind of an increasing secularization, uh, why does biblical hope matter? Right. Well, that that chapter caps off the book and it caps off a section of six chapters on the difference God makes. And in each of those chapters, I look at the difference that you have in your worldview if you're an atheist versus a Christian, a theist, but specifically a Christian. So that the questions like the meaning of life and what do we make of evil and what should you do with your life? And ultimately, why does biblical hope matter? And one of the themes that I keep coming back to there is that so often atheists will say, well, I have meaning to my life and I have hope in my life. But ultimately, we have to ask how meaningful or hopeful those things can be. You know, we can have hope that we're going to find someone that we love to marry and we can have hope that we're going to find a good parking spot tomorrow or hope that we're going to be cured for cancer, whatever the kind of hope might be. We can have those kinds of hopes. But ultimately, in an atheistic universe, all of that is just going to be meaningless when eventually when all of us are gone and the plan is gone and, and everything that happens that scientists say will happen in the future. So, you know, ultimately, yes, you can create a subjective meaning. You can say that my life is going to be all about turtles if you want. But the question is, is what is the evidence for God's existence? Because if there is good reason to believe that God exists, then there is actually a purpose for our lives. There's an objective meaning to our lives. And there is a real and true hope that we can have eternal life. And it's not the kind of parking space hope that people have. It's not even the kind of hope of being cured from a, a terminal disease or anything like that. It's an actual hope that's well justified for eternal life, that our lives have a reason, that there's a purpose for us being here, that they mean something in a much bigger sense than just what's going to happen here on this earth at this point in time. And that ultimately is the most amazing hope that we can have. And that's the hope that we're offered in the Bible. And it's not a delusional kind of hope that it has no justification. To the contrary, we have so much justification for believing that Christianity really is true and that we can have that hope of being together with the Lord forever. No, I completely agree. I love it. I think that's so important to ground. It's not wishful thinking. It's it's biblically rooted. It's rooted in history, and, and that hope is, is real, and that's what we need to give to this next generation. My guest today that I've been talking with is Natasha Crane, and her brand new book is Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. And I'll have uh, links in the show notes to this excellent book that you definitely need to pick up. And I want to tell you about a couple other resources as you're thinking about the next generation. One, here at Impact 360, we've been studying Gen Z with the Barna Group over the last year, year and a half, which is this next generation after millennials, and kind of what are their assumptions and values and worldview, and how are they seeing the world. And we're going to be unveiling this research on January 23rd. And if you go to whoisgenz.com, 
You can sign up for the live webcast, the national simulcast event for that, or come to the live event here in Atlanta at whoisgenz.com. Also, if you have students, teenagers, and you want to see them kind of equipped to grow in their faith, you know, check out Impact 360 in terms of our summer programs and experiences, as well as our nine-month Christian gap year for our fellows and things like that, and learn more at impact360.org. But Natasha, where can people learn more about your blog? I know you write a lot and have great articles and great content there. So where can they find you online? Uh, you can go to my name, Natasha Crane, C-R-A-I-N dot com. Uh, my blog's called Christian Mom Thoughts, and either way, you get there at the same, the same place. So that's where I blog, and I usually blog about three or four times a month. That's awesome. So maybe as we wrap this up, give parents one last word of encouragement as they kind of get ready to have better conversations with their kids about faith and about God. Yeah, I would just say don't be intimidated by the challenges of today's world. It can be scary and we can be really concerned about our kids growing up in it and we can be concerned for their faith, but it's not a matter of fear because truth has nothing to fear. And when we start to understand that, then we stop being so intimidated by it and we stop realizing, well, of course there's something I can do because Christianity is true. And so that just leads us to have that sense of urgency and sort of inspiration, I think, to want to do something to get out there with our kids and say, hey, we're going to take this thing and we're going to do it and we're really going to do what it takes in order to prepare our kids for this world because we know that that's the most important thing to do. Absolutely. That's awesome. So again, grab a copy of Talking With Your Kids About God by Natasha Crane, an excellent, excellent resource. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, um, please take a minute and rate this podcast on whatever podcast app you use that helps us out and helps spread the word to equip more people. And we will hope to see you next time and pray that God will empower you to have all the influence He has called you to have this week. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.